Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. I do pray, Lord, that you would just be with us here in this time. We do ask that your spirit would communicate to our hearts the things that you would have communicated. Uh, we know that this is not of us, that it is of you. And we just ask, Lord, uh, for your glory, that you would uh, move in our hearts, that we might be of better use to you for your name's sake. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, what I was going to talk about today is basically Christ's life and the Christian experience. This is a subject that has always been very interesting to me um, personally. It's, it's been a real blessing as I've, through the years, uh, thought about it and studied it. And um, one of the things that uh, it shows us is the importance of a right walk with God. Uh, he is our example. Of all the people in the Bible, uh, Jesus Christ is the example. And I think it's interesting that as uh, him being God, you know, there's this, there's people that, that try to say things like that the Lord, you know, had it easier because he was God and, and these kinds of things. But he so precisely demonstrated what he expected us to do. And we know that that is not that he was a, was a man and that he suffered as we suffered. And when we look at his life, you know, we can take, take comfort in, in his experience and what he did. Uh, when you truly understand what he's trying to teach us, it's, it's the key to true peace. This is one of the things that in life uh, is most sought after. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter um, how pretty you are. Uh, it doesn't matter any of the things that the world focuses on and pushes towards, pushes people towards. Uh, they can't find peace. And people go to all these classes, you know, they, 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 they make up religions. Um, they do all these things trying to come to a place in life where they have peace. And we find true peace in this Word, and that peace is demonstrated to us uh, by the Lord. And also, when we truly understand the life of Christ, we come to a place of effectiveness in our Christian living, in our walk. And... I don't know about y'all, but for me personally, uh, there's an agony that we experience as a Christian because we struggle with that, who we are by nature and who we want to be according to the Lord and what, what He would have us to be. And so I'd like to turn to Matthew 3, uh, verse 16, uh, starting at verse 16. And we have here a, this is the passage where it's, it's, uh, it's really the Lord and uh, demonstrating salvation. We know the Lord didn't get saved in the same manner that we did. In other words, He didn't have to be saved, but yet He, he demonstrates what salvation is. It says, And Jesus, when He was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened. I think it's interesting that the Lord was baptized because He right there was demonstrating what it means to be saved. Even though, you know, salvation happens in the heart and baptism is not uh, a requirement for salvation, 
he in from the outward appearance was showing that it was dying to self and being raised up again in newness of life is how he was how how every what every Christian has to go through. And then it says immediately after that the heavens were opened unto him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And so Right there, you know, in a, in a way that others were able to see, at least we know John the Baptist did, the, the Holy Spirit then came, came down and descended upon the Lord. Just like when we get saved, we receive the Holy Spirit. And it says, And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Then was Jesus led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days... And forty nights he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. Back at the beginning of chapter 4, it says, Then was Jesus led of the Spirit into the wilderness. I believe it's in Mark. It says that um, immediately he was, take, he was taken into the wilderness. And this is the Christian experience. Um, the wilderness is a time of preparation for the Christian. In Hebrews 5.8, it says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. There's a man that I like to read. His name is Watchman Nee. And uh, I don't know if any of y'all have ever read any of his stuff. But there's... There's very he just has a way of putting things this this really amazing but he he was a very devoted man spent uh, uh, actually spent the last twenty years of his life in prison over in uh, China and he there, there's some they're not sure whether he uh, died in prison or whether he was released a couple weeks before he died but um, he went around to the different uh, mountains of in China and he he preached. And um, one of the things that he said was his observation about people is that it actually takes about 10 years for a man who has been saved to come to a place where he is actually able to be used by the Lord. And that there's a reason for that. And that 10 years that was common where he was anyway in his experience uh, is a place of preparation for people. And... In Isaiah, it says, speaking of Christ, butter and honey shall he eat that he may know how to refuse the evil and choose the good. And so this time in the wilderness is, an, is a very necessary experience for the Christian. The thing is, 
uh, well, in, in, uh, in John chapter 2, verse 15 through 16, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So, the interesting thing here is that the love of the world creates a barrier to loving the Father. But it does not say that the Father does not love the child. This is from the human perspective. So a person can be saved, and the problem is, because of their love for the world, they don't have the love for the, of the Father. Because we're, we're going to love one thing or the other. Now, yes, there's that desire to love God, and we do have a love for God, but what he's talking about is the fact that you're so focused on the things of the world that you're not looking to God. Your affections are not on the Lord. And so it, it hinders in a well, it hinders your ability to be used by God. And so we as Christians, we have to go through this time in the wilderness to deal with these things. And the Lord demonstrated these things in in his time in the wilderness. It says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Christ experienced all of these elements in his temptations uh, here in the wilderness. It's a time of growth for the Christian, it's a time of struggle. It's a time where Christians try to work. And this is one of the greatest problems. Uh, in a Christian's life is that we're always trying to work. Um, the lust of the flesh that we deal with is the bodies, the, the desires of our bodies. You know, uh, the things that make us feel good. The things that, that can be a hindrance that actually, well, I don't feel good today so I'm not going to do what I'm supposed to. Uh, this makes me happy going over here and having this fun so I'm not going to do the things that I'm supposed to. The lust of the eyes is a never-ending desire for more. We have this problem as, as humans that no matter what we're doing uh, or what we have, we always want more. And this is a great hindrance in the things of the Lord. He talks about how in all things we're supposed to be content. In whatever state we are, we're supposed to be content. And yet we, in our natural state, and when we first get saved and for a period of time after we're saved... The Lord is working in us, trying to bring us to a place where we realize that we don't need all these things that we, we focus after. And then the pride of life, this gets into our emotions. Um, pride is an emotion, but one of the things that is, is a very powerful thing in a Christian's life is their emotions. And people can be emotionally driven, driven by their emotions instead of driven by the Lord. Um, it's amazing. The, the Lord is not an emotion. And we, we, we have a problem with that. There's not a... And I've said this to the kids, I don't know how many times, but there's not a single person that felt like being burned at the stake. That's just the reality. Um, they, they went to the stake because of what they knew to be true. Not because of how they felt. And we as Christians a lot of times determine what we do because of how we feel. This is our carnality. And these are the things that the, the time in the wilderness is trying to deal with. Moses is a key figure in the time of the wilderness. Moses represents the law. 
the law is bondage. It tells us uh, what to do and what we should not do even though we want to do it. And that's a problem. We want to do what's wrong. And so as a, as a, as a new Christian, we still want to do what's wrong. And yet, so we're in bondage of the law. Well, we're free from the bondage of the law according to what the Lord has done for us, but we place ourselves back into the bondage of the law because of what we want. And that hinders our Christian experience. You have the situation in the, um, in the wilderness with the, Christ, with the, the children of Israel um, where they were, they were with, with Moses and they had come out of Egypt. And they were constantly wanting to go back to Egypt. You know, looking back. And the Lord tells us to look forward. But they kept looking back. And these, these are the, the, the things that, that stick with us for a period of time. And I mean, really, the, our, our, whole, our whole Christian experience to some degree, I believe. But, but they're very powerful at the beginning where we, we start off with the love and joy and fulfillment of the Lord. And then some of that newness wears off and and it gets in it actually gets into the fact that the Lord this is something that I learned from Watchman Nee that I thought was very interesting. He in, in uh, Song of Solomon uh, it talks about how the the bride is looking for the bridegroom basically and he's withdrawn himself from her. And first thing a person thinks is they've done something wrong. But that's not always the case. The Lord sometimes, in, in what uh, He's talking about there, withdraws Himself from a Christian uh, for the purpose of testing. And it gets back into that emotion thing, that feeling thing. And whether or not we're going to stay true to what we know is right uh, without that feeling of the Lord making us happy and... Uh, because the happiness is not what is supposed to be the, the main thing. The Lord Himself is supposed to be the main thing. The happiness is a byproduct. It's not the main thing. And so the Lord actually withdraws Himself. And, and some people have described it as the dark night of the soul. Where you're actually agonizing, trying to find the Lord and you don't understand. But it's part of that, that seeking process where the Lord is, is working in your heart. So that it's for us. It's not for him. It's for us to to build a certain degree of um, I don't want to say dedication in our own life, but it's it's uh, where we there's more to us than just this whimsical idea of of Christianity. He's trying to build our faith, and um, so the Israelites were constantly wanting to go back to Egypt because they didn't want to to deal with these problems anymore. But the law is our schoolmaster. In Galatians 3.24 it says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. And so this schoolmaster, a lot of people only apply this concept to before you're saved, that the, the law is trying to bring us to Christ. But even after you're saved, when we're dealing with this carnality in ourselves, the law is still that schoolmaster. Because we're trying to, through our own efforts, please God. We have a problem with that. I don't know why. At least I do. 
I know that sometimes I don't want to... There, there's this, this something in me that sometimes says, you can't go to God right now because you know you haven't been doing what you're supposed to do. You know you've been living a way that you're not supposed to live. And so you need to get things straightened out before you go to God. And that's trying to somehow bring yourself to a point of justification before you even get to the justifier. And that's, that's a sad thing. But we, we do that. It says, but after that faith is come. That's what the Lord is trying to get us. That's the point the Lord is trying to get us to, is this point of faith. A Christian is free from the law in that he has received the Holy Spirit but his experience is one that is of bondage of the law because of carnality, the love of the world. Freedom from the law has everything to do with nature. In Romans 8, 1 through 16, it says, therefore, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is an enmity against God, for there is nothing. I'm sorry, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. <clears throat> but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit of the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh, for if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led of the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So, this freedom from the law has everything to do with nature. And he's talking about the two laws here, the two natures that we're dealing with. And see, the interesting thing about the Lord is He does by nature what is in the law. We don't have, God does not have to force Himself to do what's right. Um, one of the things I talk to the kids about all the time is if I, if I had a bowl of worms and I put some whipped cream and a cherry on top, and I went to one of y'all and I said, would you like to eat some? You would say, no, get that away from me. Because you can't be tempted with what you don't want. You can only be, be tempted by things that you do want. And so, 
God, by very nature, cannot be tempted with sin because He doesn't want sin. It goes against everything that He stands for. We, unfortunately, are the opposite. The law of, the law of uh, is not His schoolmaster because He's selfless. He doesn't have to have the law to make Him do what is right. We know our nature is selfish. One of the examples of this is a little, little scenario uh, of, say, if you were on a desert island and you had a group of people come out there and they were, they were stranded and there was no government, there was no law, there's no nothing. And some people are lazy. So they go over and they sit under a palm tree. Some people start thinking, well... You know, I might need to find some food. So they start working, trying to find some food. Some other ones start trying to build some shelter. But who are they building it for? They're building it for themselves. Well, you got those people that are lazy and they don't want to work, so they're hanging out under the palm tree. Everybody else is getting stuff ready. Then all of a sudden, some people start getting hungry. Well, they were lazy. They didn't start working. And so they start looking to the people who were working to get their food. And the ones that were working, they don't really care about the people sitting on the palm tree. And so they say, no, you can't have my food. And the ones that weren't working, they don't really care about the ones that were. They say, I want your food. Give it to me. And they have this struggle. And this struggle has to do with selfishness. And that's the scenario of this world because we have nothing but selfishness from every angle. But when you have a, a people who have the law of the spirit of life in them, the, the law of the spirit of selflessness in them, Jesus Christ's life, if we had that on earth right now, those same people that were on the island, there wouldn't be anybody sitting around lazy. People would be gathering food for everyone because they cared about everyone more than themselves. They would be building shelter for everyone. There would not be any need for a law because of the wars that probably would have started on that island and the, probably the murders and killings that started on the island, there would have to be law established on that island to keep people from destroying themselves. But in the world of Jesus Christ, that's not necessary because you do by nature the things contained within the law. The reason we stay in the wilderness so long is because we try to fix our shortcomings ourselves. We work very hard and struggle, beat ourselves up against the wall sometimes to come up with an answer to the problems that we have in life. Uncle Kent once said that uh, the only thing we bring to the Lord is the ability to fail. And that's, that's very um, I mean, humbling when you stop and think about it. But when you realize that, that takes away this whole thing about trying to work for ourselves to, to fix our problems. It's interesting because Moses being a type of the law and a works, uh, he's dealing, it's, a, it, he, he, it's, it's dealing with a works mentality. Uh, from a typological standpoint, there was no way that Moses was ever going to be able to leave the wilderness. Because you cannot find victory in the law. You cannot find um, a way to actually please the Lord through the deeds of the law. 
The old law cannot be the basis of a right life. It's the new law. The spirit of love is the key to a right life. The law of the spirit of love, the law of the spirit is a law of faith. Faith is dependence. Faith starts when we choose to come out of the wilderness and leave the schoolmaster behind. Man's ability is abandoned, putting self to death. Joshua 1, 1 through 2 says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give them, even to the children of Israel. See, it's just so amazing the consistency of this demonstration of the children of Israel in the wilderness and the progression of the Christian life. And here you've got the children of Israel, they had been just struggling in the wilderness all this time. And then Moses died. The Lord put him to death. When? When, the, when it was time. When the children of Israel were ready to actually enter into the land of Canaan. And the reason Moses had to die was because it could not be Moses that led the people into... Now I understand that the... What we're talking about where the Moses struck the rock and the Lord condemned him to death. I, I understand all that. But why is that so important? It's because Moses, by striking the rock, demonstrated something, a truth, that is not, it's not the law of love. It's not the, the, the thing that leads the Christian into the experience of an overcoming life into the experience of the promised land, of the victorious Christian life. He could not enter in. He could not be the one to lead them. He had to die. And it says, so, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, he's talking to Joshua. My servant is dead. Now, therefore, you arise. We have a new leader, Joshua. He's a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord, through His resurrection life, is our leader and He's our example. And it's a, it's a new beginning for the people of Israel. Joshua 3.13, And it came to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark, if you stop and think about it, who are the priests that bear the ark right now? It's you and me if you're saved. We have the Holy Spirit within us. We have Jesus Christ within us. And so those, and we're priests, the Bible calls us priests, those that have, that bear the ark, it says as soon as the soles of their feet uh, touch the water, it says as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark, which are the Christians of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of Jordan. What's the waters of Jordan speak to? Death to self. As soon as the Christians finally Choose death to self and really mean it. It was then that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from, from above and they shall stand upon a heap. This is walking by faith. Stark contrast in walking by sight, walking by our own works, trying to work out these things ourselves, fighting, struggling. When we finally come to that place where we say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. And we're bearing that ark 
to the river of death. Well, it's not death in the sense of, of death. Some people look at the promised land as being heaven. But that's not. It's the victorious Christian life. And when we finally, with the Lord Jesus Christ, go to that place of death to self. See, the thing is, we cannot kill ourselves. We can't die ourselves. We cannot put ourselves to death. The Lord Himself has to do that as well. We're looking to the Lord in all things, pleading with the Lord, because we've come to a place of desperation. That's when you start looking to God in a way that's going to matter. So, this is walking by faith. The water was not changed. Victory over self did not happen until they committed their lives to the promises of God. And see, that's this is a, a thing that for me is a uh, it's very personal, I guess you could say, because you struggle with things in life, and what do you do? You go to the Bible and you look at His promises, and sometimes you read the promises and you struggle, and you say, "Well, you know, I'm reading it. Why am I not having the peace?" That I'm supposed to be experiencing, why am I not taking these things up? Why am I not turning things over to you the way that I'm supposed to? Why is it still like I'm trying to carry it? I don't want to carry it, but why am I still carrying these things? And it's, it's because we have this real problem with absolute surrender. We don't want to put it down. We don't want to let it go. And But it wasn't until they had truly committed themselves they had to actually get put their feet in the water it wasn't like they stood back came up to the brim of the water and all of a sudden the Lord did it they, their feet had to be in the water before that, that those waters changed and this is this is the um, the way it has to be it's not, it's not something where we can shrink back from and, and try to just pray and ask the Lord to, to work these things out in a way where, where we can see it happen before we go into it. That's not the way the Lord wants it. He wants us to truly just give up. He says, taste and see that I'm good. And we have, to, we have to approach it from that way. And look at His promise and act on it. Not just look at His promise and say, well, Lord, I'm waiting to see you fulfill these things in the sense of... Um, you know, I'm gonna be a, I'm gonna be a part of this, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna just sit back and uh, try to help you accomplish these things. No, he wants us to read them, apply them to our life, and go on in the sense of just resting, like a child does for his dad. Where you know, your dad says, "I'm gonna get you some food." Well, it's not really faith if the child says, "Okay, I believe you, Dad." And then you go off and start trying to find some some deer out in the woods to eat. That's not faith. That's not trusting your dad. That's not resting in your father. A little kid, when the dad says, I'm going to go get him some food, they say, okay. And they don't worry about it anymore. Because they believe in the promise of the dad. It's so simple, but yet we make it complicated. When I say we, I'm talking about me. It's interesting... Well, this is when Christ first starts to lead us to victory. Um, It's not until we come to a place of absolute surrender that we're going to find that victory. And that's giving up. When I 
Let's go on this first. Um, Jesus Christ and His example did not perform a single miracle. If you're sitting here and we kept reading here, and you go on to uh, another chapter, the Lord did not perform a single miracle until after He had come out of the wilderness. So in His example to us, we're finding out that the miraculous life that we would like to see where we go out and witness to people and, and we overcome all these different things and stuff that we hear about these other Christians doing, that's not going to happen until we get free from the wilderness. And Jesus Christ went to the wilderness. He overcame the world, the flesh, and the devil. Dealt with those things right there. It was not until after that that He performed His first miracle of turning the water into wine. And He did that through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's where, where the Lord is trying to bring us. To understand that we have no ability until we get the power of the Holy Spirit actually working in our life. And I'm not saying the Lord doesn't use us to do little things here and there. I'm not saying that when Watchman Nee said it takes 10 years for these things to happen, that person basically doesn't do anything for the Lord. But what I am saying is that when you, when you want to see the Lord part in the Red Sea, when you want to see the Lord moving the mountains of unbelief, moving the, the mountains that, that of um, people's hearts that we care about, it comes when we finally surrender and we start looking to Him in truth and quit trying to figure it all out ourselves. Um, I know that whenever I was I was going through a situation where I had a job going on and it, I was getting pretty stressed out about it. Things were just, no, oh, it was getting bad. And uh, some things just weren't going right. Products were messing up that they said should have worked a certain way and they didn't and I had to fix it. I felt responsible to fix it. And there was all these different things about this job that were causing problems. And I mean, I was getting pretty stressed out. And... You know, you go home and you're just praying, Lord, don't let this stuff happen. Don't let it work out this way. You know, please, please protect me, Lord. And I remember I was I was up about 3 o'clock in the morning because, I mean, the stuff was just bothering me. It was just weighing on my mind. And I was talking to the Lord about it. And it was almost, I'm not going to try to say the Lord spoke to me in an audible voice or anything, but it was, it was like a realization, an understanding came to my heart. You're praying all wrong. You're praying, Lord, don't let this happen. But what you need to be praying is, Lord, if this happens, thank you, because you're going to be there with me in it. That's surrendering to the Lord. Now, did all of a sudden all my problems were gone and whatever? No, but it was the, one of the first times in my life that I really realized how wrong my thinking was in my approach to the circumstances and dealing with the things of life. It's not about avoiding all the issues of life. It's about having God there with you in the issues of life. Because guess what? He has a reason why He's got you in those issues. A little while ago I had a problem with a job, went over there, and I'm just sitting there, oh boy, I hope it's not as bad as I think it is. And all I'm thinking about is the job. 
And I get over there and there wasn't even a problem. There was no problem at all. Just thought there was a problem. But you know why I believe the Lord worked all that stuff up in me to go even go over there? It's because the lady was having problems. Mentally. In other words, she was struggling in life and she needed someone to talk to. And it was kind of interesting, you know, because so often we get bothered by what's happening. But in reality, what we need to be doing is, Lord, what is your purpose here? And I can trust you. And there's a simplicity in that. There's a childlikeness in that that we're supposed to be grabbing hold of. And the problems start to fall away because we're, we're being dependent on the Lord. So how do we do this? How do we enter into to this victorious Christian life? Well, first we enter into the love of God. Faith is a trust. A person we truly trust brings peace and rest. You know, God is not a taskmaster. He's not looking at all of our failures and our problems and wanting to just bring them up and beat us down with them all the time. That's not how He is. That's not His purpose in any of it. That's not His purpose in, in having it, allowing us to stay in the wilderness. It's actually for our good so that we can come out of it and enter into true peace and rest. And so when you start to know God and, and enter into the fact that that is the way He is, it brings that peace and rest because you, you trust Him. Also, letting the Lord's love flow through you. So you, you're... You now have, have given up what you're wanting to do and you're looking to what the Lord would have you to do and you realize who He is and you realize that you want nothing more than His life to be your life and so His life starts to flow through you and you start to affect others and, and actually be an effective witness and testimony in this world. You have to see yourself for who you are. Your lack of ability, your lack of love. you got to see your own need and put God in, his place, in its place, in the place of that need. Love is the fulfillment of the law. It is not the determination that stops the tongue. It's love for the person. So you're sitting here, and someone's doing something you don't like. And so you go up and you straighten them out. Did that person hear a word you said? Maybe. You just beat them in the head with a club. They might have heard something. But the reality is, all they heard and saw was, this person is being mean to me. I don't like this person. I don't want to be around this person anymore. That's really what they're seeing and what they're hearing. They're not hearing anything that you're saying. But when you go to someone, even in correction, and you're doing it with an, with an attitude and they can see the love of God, your love for them uh, in you, they can see that love for them in you they might actually stop and listen to what you have to say. So it doesn't matter how much you determine to stop your tongue. You can try your best to say, you know what, I'm going to try to stop doing this. I'm going to try to stop being uh, mean to other people and all this. That's not what stops you from being cruel with your tongue. What stops you from being cruel is actually having the love of God in your heart for that person to where more than anything else in the world, you want to help them, not hurt them. That's going to determine everything. That's going to change how you relate to people. 
This is the law of love. The reason that breaking the law in one point makes you guilty of all is not because you have the capacity to do everything wrong. The reason breaking the law in one point you're guilty of all is because the root of the law is love. And when you steal from someone, you're not loving someone. When you speak in a way that is wrong, you're not loving that person. When you do any of the things that break the law, the reason you've broken the whole law is because the whole law is encompassed by love. That is why Jesus Christ fulfills the law by nature, because He is the God of love. And when we are people of love for others, we are going to fulfill the law and be Christ-like. Breaking the law is a lack of selfless love. This affects everything in life. It destroys the testimony of Christ in us. There's nothing worse than going up to someone and, I mean, you know, letting them have it. And then all of a sudden you realize, I can never go back to that person again, probably. I have, I have hurt them in a way that they will never see me the same again. And that is a, should be a sadness to us when we do that in our dealings with, with each other. I don't know how you recover from that, really. You know, they say that all. They say people say these little sayings, you know, about you know when you do these things, um, you can never take it back, and that's true. But do we ever really enter into the cost that that actually did cost us? And so when you when you see things for what they are, it drives you to God. It drives you to a, in a desperation to God, because we're not here for the houses. We're not here for the cars. We're not here for all the things the world has to offer. We're here for the people. We're here because the Lord has a work for us to do that affects other people and their lives to bring them to Him because He's chosen to use us. And so all these things... need to be thought about every day because every one of us meet people and every one of us are supposed to be a witness and we want to do it in a way that honors the Lord but you can't (laughs) this was so funny you can't you have to let God do it you have to say Lord I can't but you can the more we try the more we mess it up it's this dependence thing. That's what the Lord is looking for, and that's the victorious Christian life. It's dependence. It's not the lack of service that does the most damage in the Christian life. Sometimes people get very worked up because they say, this person's not doing enough over here, and this person's not doing it over here. When you actually add up the cost of the damage that people, Christians cause, it has a whole lot more to do with not having the Spirit of God expressing to this world a right message through our actions and our words than any work that they might have done. It's a whole lot better for someone to stay home and not do something 
than to come and do something and destroy everyone else who's working there with their mouth and their wrong attitude. And they're going to have to pay. There's going to be a cost for that when they stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Are our lives drawing people to God or do we push them away? What is the effect of our life? The things that we're talking about here have a lot to do with experience versus head knowledge. The more that you have experienced yourself and the pain of self, the pain of of having lived a life of trying to figure it out yourself, doing it your way, and the more that you start turning things over to the Lord and experience Him being your leader, being your shield, being your fighting your battles for you, the focus will start shifting to where you'll spend more time praying to God and asking the Lord to fight these battles for you instead of going, I forgot to pray. I didn't get up this morning and spend any time with the Lord. I don't even remember. Uh, I did remember to brush my teeth. I did remember to eat my breakfast. But I, I didn't take the time to even acknowledge the fact that I need the Lord. And it, sh- it shifts because there's, it doesn't get easier. Fighting the old nature, all those kind of things do not get easier. But what shifts is how you handle it. What the Lord is wanting us to do is to be like a rabbit. He doesn't look at the fox and get up on his back legs and put his little dukes out and say, let's go to it. He runs to his place of safety. He runs to his hole. Well, the Lord doesn't want us to try to do that. He doesn't want us to try to figure things out for ourselves. He wants us to run to our place of safety. And as we grow in the Christian life, as we grow in our experience of the Lord, that becomes our reaction because we're learning a consistent dependence on the Lord. The Lord Himself, how did He continue in living through His experience, through His his showing us how to live life, he prayed before he dealt with a problem, and he prayed after he dealt with the problem. In that way, it wasn't this like this. He stayed in communion with the Father the whole time. And this is supposed to be our experience. This is supposed to be the life that we're supposed to live. And I don't know what anybody in here does. This isn't. This is, these are things that y'all have heard and I've heard many times. But I know I have to be reminded of these things. And I know that these things, these kind of thoughts encourage me to keep moving the right direction. Because life can get very discouraging if you don't have your eyes focused on the Lord. And that's just the reality. A lot of times we start blaming other things. It's, it's this family member, it's this car breaking down, it's this, all these other things, the things of life. But in reality, the only reason they're discouraging is because we've taken our eyes off the Lord. Lord knows your car broke down. <laughs> uh, he says, you know, take no thought for our raiment, for our food, for anything. He doesn't want us to be worried about any of those things. He says, all you need to do is just look to me and I'll handle it. I don't want you driving today, I guess. It'll be okay. 
And when we actually look to the Lord in that attitude, there's that peace. And see, when we get focused on all these other things, and then we meet that person. <laughs> we meet that person that we were supposed to be being a testimony to that day, that the Lord had for us to actually speak to. And we're so caught up with our problems, we snap at them, and we take our problems out on them. Well, there's one opportunity missed. And this is what I'm talking about. We need to have a vision for the important things in life. What is the most important thing in life? Is it our schedule? Is it our... Well, anything. Anything that, that the devil throws at us. No. The only thing that's important in life is, Lord, what would you have me to do this day? And will you please take me step by step through this day and you're going to be there with me in every single aspect. And then you have peace and, and joy because you have your joy and your hope in the Lord. And that's, that's my comfort in life and uh, that's my desire and I, I hope that it would be for everyone in here. But let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. I do pray, Lord, that you would just help us to be the people that you would have us to be. And Lord, as we as we struggle in this life, uh, dealing with with ourselves and the things that the devil has to throw at us, we thank you, Lord, that that you are there for us. That you are our our fortress, our hiding place. And I pray that we would, that you would bring it to our minds to realize the spiritual warfare that's really going on. That this is not a fight with these earthly, physical things that happen to us. It's a spiritual fight, both, well, for the souls of men. And I pray that you would not allow us as your people to be derailed in, in our desire and in, in, in our work for you. Uh, 